Welcome to Geographical Thinking, the podcast where you get ideas, stories, and conversations all through the lens of geography. I'm your host, Guan Yu. Paul Hearsink is a colleague of mine at Esri Canada. He's a self-confessed map nerd. So even when he's not working, he's making a map, one very big map. For eight years, Paul has been mapping the 20,000 ships that sank in World War II. Although much of that war was conducted on the oceans, many of these ships were non-combat ships. His dashboard illuminates patterns and stories across the naval theater and through the progress of the entire war. It gets about 50 visits every day. Paul, welcome to Geographical Thinking. Thank you, Guan. It's a pleasure to be here. Mapping 20,000 ships is no small task. How did you start to doing this project? Yeah, it definitely is no small task. I've always had an interest in history, particularly Second World War history. And of course, mapping, as you said, I'm a self-confessed map nerd. And about eight years ago, I was browsing the internet and came across a site called uboat.net that had records on each of the German submarines, their activities, and all the ships that they sank. They had uh, small maps for each U-boat uh, showing where their activities were, but there was no single map. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to see all this together in one place? But then I thought, you know, the U-boat war, which is basically the German submarines attacking Allied shipping, uh, that was only one part of the war. I mean, it was a big part of the war, but it was only one part of the war. And wouldn't it be cool to see all the ships that were sunk during the Second World War and map them out according to their place and when they happened. So I took a look around the internet and I, the only thing that I found was a small uh, low resolution image that was incomplete. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to have to do this myself. And so I started eight and a half years ago, going through a number of lists, going through the war day by day and trying to figure out where the ships were sunk, trying to find out the correct references for them and putting it all together. And I think that if I had known that it was going to take this long, I might not have started, but that's probably a good thing I didn't know. But looking back, the dots on your map has expanded tremendously from when you first started this project. What's the story that your map tells? Well, first of all, this Second World War was a very big war that involved a lot of countries around the world. And it was a truly global war that affected all parts of the globe. In the Second World War, cargo ships were considered fair game to the uh, participants in the war. And the thinking was that if you could stop your enemy from being supplied with food, goods, or military equipment, you'd be able to stop their war effort and they would have to surrender and lose. And so the Germans uh, did that uh, with, they attempted to do that with the um, of the British, especially, and they started sinking ships around uh, the UK at the beginning of the war. And as the war went on, they expanded their their patrol areas and continued to sink ships further and further afield. Now, you have to remember that the UK is an island nation, and it has it had a global empire at the time, and a lot of their a lot of the uh, material that they brought in to the island came from overseas, of course. Uh, they had colonies in India, in uh, Africa, in Asia, uh, and also uh, Commonwealth countries, uh, South Africa, Australia, Canada, for instance. All of them would be shipping material, food, war material to the British Isles uh, to help them fight. And so the Germans uh, took a look at that and thought, well, the best way to stop that is uh, to prevent the cargo ships from actually reaching the UK. And so they started sinking them. 
wherever they could. You map out all of the sunken ship chronologically. So when the war first started in 1939, if we look at your map, most of the sunken ships are around Europe. But then we see those one-offs and two-offs along all the shoreline to the very southern tip of South America and also all the way along the Africa shoreline. And there's one off of Cape Town. Is that the cargo ships? Are those the cargo ships that you're talking about? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Like I said, obviously, oil supplies, for instance, Britain didn't have any oil supplies during the war, they had to import their oil. So uh, a lot of the oil supplies came in from the Caribbean, food supplies, uh, military equipment came in from other nations, South Africa, Canada, Australia, all of that had to be transported to Britain somehow. And of course, the only way to do that would be by shipping at the time. Again, uh, the Germans were very opportunistic and they would go wherever these cargo ships were uh, the least defended so that they were better able to sink them. Yeah, what I find really interesting about your maps is it really summarized a very long period of war in a very visualized way. Part of your story map illustrated how the sunken ship is really uh, changes the the dynamics between the ally and Axis had changes uh, throughout the war. And if we were to look at your maps and where the sinking ships are happening, uh, across across the, the the globe, and over time, that's very um, that's a very obvious story there. Yeah, it's uh, definitely if you uh, chart out uh, the number of ships sunk uh, belonging to the Allies, that's uh, the UK, US, Canada, Russia later on in the war, versus the Axis, which included Germany, Italy, and Japan. You'll notice that the first part of the war, first half of the war, the Axis uh, managed to sink more ships than the Allies. But there's an interesting little period of time in the, about in the middle of the war, March 1943, where the Axis, uh, the Allies began sinking more vessels than the Axis, and this continued to happen until the end of the war. And it's interesting how that corresponds with the various histories that you read, uh, naval histories, uh, where the early part of 1943 is often considered the turning point in the, the naval battles uh, for the Second World War. There are people and groups um, who are interested in salvaging these ships right now and to pull them off the bottom ocean. What's the argument for that? Well, a lot of these ships contain hazardous material. Uh, so you have oil tankers containing oil, cargo ships that were uh, ferrying munitions to the front lines, uh, other hazardous materials. So there is an interest in salvaging these ships before they, they've been at the bottom of the ocean for the last 80 years, of course, um, and they're slowly disintegrating. And the concern is that the hulls will disintegrate to a point where there will be a, car- a catastrophic collapse, meaning that any oil or hazardous material that they contain will suddenly spill out and contaminate the ocean. So there is an interest from an environmental perspective in terms of cleaning that up. As well, there is uh, a lot of valuable material in there. Uh, Steel, for instance, uh, all of these ships are made out of steel and all of that can be recycled. Depending on how easy that is to access, uh, it could be worthwhile or not. And actually, lastly, uh, there is also uh, rumors that uh, some of these ships actually might be holding treasure that uh, was removed from occupied territories, but this has never been verified. Are you aware of some of the active ongoing projects that are pulling these ships? 
I am actually. I've had a conversation with some folks down in Australia who uh, have uh, focused on uh, uh, 20 of the worst, the most critical cases uh, in the South Pacific that they are looking to salvage and uh, prevent from uh, releasing hazardous materials. What's a big challenge for them for their project? Like, why aren't we seeing more of it at a global scale, given all of the potential risks the sunken ship presents? Well, one of the challenges is actually getting an accurate location for uh, where these sunken ships are. In some cases, that's been fairly easy to do, uh, especially for those ships that were close to in the harbor or uh, close to the shoreline. But for those uh, ships that were out in the middle of the ocean, it's it's difficult to get an accurate location. And you have to remember that this is long before the time of GPS. Uh, so if you, even in peacetime, if you were looking to measure your location, you would actually have to get either a radio signal from somewhere, or you would have to uh, do a manual measurement and you'd have to get a fix on the sun and stars. And sometimes, you know, that's kind of difficult to do. And so consider if you're if you're on a ship and it's being attacked in the middle of the ocean, probably the last thing on your mind is, oh, I have to get an accurate location so somebody can map this in the future. I mean, you're probably more concerned about your survival than anything else at that point. That's a very interesting point because now we see the map. It's a given that we know each of the dots and their latitude and longitude. But when you are compiling all of the information, where do some of the information sources come from? Like who compiles them and and where do they get their information? Have you done research into that? I have. As part of being in the Navy, the naval vessels would actually track their own location. They would have ship logs and every hour or every four hours they would write down their uh, location. So we would have some information on that. So German submarines, for instance, they would have uh, submarine logs that would uh, indicate where they travel to with an approximate location. Uh, They would indicate where they sunk a ship with the approximate location. So some of that information is, I've been able to access that information. It's not always accurate uh, because again, uh, location readings uh, could have been done incorrectly at the time. And sometimes they uh, don't correspond to what the allies might have. So the allies might have a different location for the same ship or even a different time. Uh, so it's a matter of uh, juggling that and determ- trying to determine which is the most reliable source. Now, these are the military ships, but your map shows that the majority of the sunken ships are actually cargo ships. How do you go about finding out <clears throat> the location of them? Yeah, it's uh, most of the ships that were sunk during the Second World War. In fact, about two thirds of the ship were cargo ships. A lot of these were allied ships. A lot of these allied ships would sail in convoy with a military uh, protection. Uh, So there were military vessels involved when German submarines uh, attacked. Of course, they would pursue those submarines. But, you know, uh, sometimes those cargo ships would sink um, and the naval vessels that were there would have an approximate location of where those ships would sink or did sink, I should say. What are some other challenges that you encountered in this eight years of making this map? There are a lot of ships that I still don't have a location for. So I've, uh, like you said at the uh, top of the podcast, there's about 20,000 ships in my database and I have uh, a location for about uh, three quarters of them or 15,000. 
So that leaves about 5,000 that don't have a location for. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, uh, it come across a source and it says the ship was sunk in the Pacific Ocean. Well, you know, that's a fairly large area and it's kind of hard to nail down a specific location with just that description. And also what I, what I find during times of intense activity, so if there were air raids or uh, bombings of uh, ships in harbor, for instance, I would just simply have a location that says this ship sank in this harbor, but no specific location. So I'm trying to get as a specific location as possible. And it's really difficult to do once you get to the really fine grain level. So you still have a third or a quarter of the projects to be done in the future? I do. I also have uh, a number of other sources that I still have to research yet. Uh, so I'm sure that there's probably more ships out there that I don't have mapped yet. The work is ongoing. Uh, I first published this about two years ago, and I've since done numerous updates since. So it's a continual project that uh, will probably never end. This side project of yours has stirred some interest. Tell me about that. Yes, I've had a few uh, inquiries from uh, folks in the U.S., uh, Australia, and the U.K. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, in the U.S. Uh, they're interested in tracking these uh, locations for archaeological purposes. Uh, the folks in Australia, as I mentioned, uh, they're interested in cleaning up some of the hazardous wastes uh, that these ships contain. And the folks in the UK uh, who work with uh, the UK military are also interested in actually tracking uh, where their military vessels are. And also uh, individuals who have had a personal connection to some of the uh, ships that went down are curious as to uh, how this all came about. You're really connecting this mini community that otherwise you wouldn't have come across. It's really interesting because, like I said, I mean, I started this as a personal project a number of years ago. and I was happy putting it all together. And once it got published and once uh, uh, people started to know about it, it's, it was uh, interesting to me to find out actually, yeah, people would actually find this useful. And it's, it's, it's a great feeling to know that, you know, something that you've done for fun is actually really useful to other people. You have published maps, story map and dashboard. How about the data themselves? Are they publicly available? The data isn't publicly available, although if you go to the dashboard, you will be able to view the data. So you'll be able to browse and zoom in and query the data. But if you are actually looking to uh, access the data and download the data and use it in your own map creation, you'll have to reach out to me and we'll have to reach an agreement on how that goes. Sounds great. That's very interesting story. Thank you very much, Paul, for coming on to Geographical Thinking and sharing your big project with us. Thank you for having me, Guan. It's been a pleasure. Paul Hearsink, map maker of 20,000 sunken ship in World War II. On our podcast webpage, you can find links to his interactive maps and dashboard. This podcast is brought to you by Esri Canada, a technology company that empowers people and organizations by the science of wear. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.